For the rest of you, open up your Bibles to page 1157, Ephesians chapter 2, page 1157 if you're using a pew Bible, and today we'll be looking at verses 19 through 22 as our focus text. What about this snow, huh? Beautiful. I measured around my yard uh, that evening with the yardstick, and I measured 22 inches all around my yard. So it was, it was great. I've never seen 22 inches. We don't get that in the desert where I grew up. <laughs> so it's cool. Ephesians 2. Let's start at verse 11. Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God... We just lay down all of the things we've carried in here with us. Lord, we give you our anxieties. We give you our worries over finances and family and friends. Lord, we give you our health concerns. Father, we lay before you uh, our sins and ask for your forgiveness, for we are an unfaithful people. Lord, we lay before you our anxieties about where our nation is heading, about the economy, about war on the horizon. God, we put all those things at the foot of the cross. And we just desire now, Lord, that you would take our hearts and fill them up with Christ. That we might do an exchange with you, God. That we would take our, our grudges and we would take our hurts. And Lord, we'd give them to you and that you'd give us Christ. And so now as we come to your word this morning, we are desiring that you would be with us. We pray for the power of the Spirit through your word this morning. We ask for the manifest presence of Christ in our midst through the word this morning. And we are eager to see what you're going to say to us. Lord, we come to you needy and wanting more, and we know that you have it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I just don't know if I could ever fit in in this church, she said to me. <clears throat> and as she sat in my office, I wondered if she was right. Uh, black leather biker jacket, body piercings. Uh, dark eye shadow, very uh, tough woman. I think she felt as uncomfortable sitting in my office talking with me 
as I would have felt if I was in one of her biker bars. Uh, and she said, look, I, you know, this is Hingham, and people here wouldn't know what to do with someone like me and where I come from. And so that's the question. Uh, would she fit here? What would it take for a woman like that to belong and really belong in a church like this? Uh, would we have to do some kind of like daytime talk show makeover? You know how they do those where they take someone backstage and they bring them out. Laura Ashley or something. You know, would she have to trade in her Harley for a Volvo? What, what would it take to fit? And as I was thinking about that, I realized there's only one thing she would need for her to really belong here. There's one thing she would need to belong in this church just as much as someone who's been here their whole life. And that one thing is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it is only through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that someone is incorporated into the body of Christ. But if you have that one thing, faith in Jesus, you belong in the body of Christ. And so this is the great message as we come to Ephesians this morning, that God is taking people who are far off, who don't fit into his body, and making them part of the body of Christ through faith in Jesus, and giving them full rights as members of God's people. Look at our text again. Uh, just by way of review, if you look at verses 11 through 13, this was who we were before Jesus as Gentiles. And Paul is writing to a Gentile audience, and most of us here are come from Gentile background. There may be a few of you here with some Jewish roots, but I suspect most of us here are Gentiles. And in verses 11 to 13, Paul reminds the Ephesians of where they stood before Christ. Look at verse 12. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Can't get any worse than that. And then in verses 14 to 18, there's the makeover. And it happens through the blood of Christ on the cross. Verse 14, For He Himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So through the death of Christ on the cross, the two now have become one. And now we get to verse 19, and this is kind of the unveiling of the makeover. What the new status is of the Gentiles. And that's where we are this morning in verses 19 to 22. We're looking at the consequences of Christ's work. The after. The before and the after. Verse 19, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. So the message this morning from Paul is that anyone who is in Christ has full membership in the people of God, no matter who they are, no matter what their background is, because membership in God's household is through faith in Jesus Christ, period. And so as we look at this text, we see that Paul wants to drive home to his Gentile readers that they truly are part of God's people. And 19 to 22, three images, and we're going to look at the three. The first image he uses is fellow citizens. Look at verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people. We're, we're citizens with the people of God. Now, in the time of Christ, the Jewish people had a very strong ethnic and national identity. Uh, the Jews in the time of Christ were not a separate nation because they were technically part of the Roman Empire. It wasn't like in the Old Testament when they were a sovereign nation. Uh, they were underneath Roman rule, but they still had a very strong cultural and ethnic identity. Uh, they practiced circumcision. No one else in the Roman world did that. And so it made the Jews stand apart. That was probably the biggest 
cultural uh, separator between Jews and Gentiles in the time of Christ. There were also the dietary laws. There was Sabbath keeping. The, Ju- the Greeks and Romans didn't rest every seventh day. And uh, the Jews had a moral lifestyle. I think that was one of the things that distinguished them. They had a high moral code that was often different from the Gentiles. So religiously, morally, culturally, uh, there was this gulf that separated Jew from Gentile and distinguished them as a separate people. And it was very clear who was Jewish and who was Gentile. But now with the coming of Christ, the Gentiles have been made, get this, fellow citizens. Not illegal aliens. Not uh, green card holders. Not resident aliens. Fellow citizens. Full membership in the people of God. Just as much as any believing Jewish person. Through faith in Christ, they become fellow citizens. That's the first image. Then look at the next one. Members of God's household. Fellow family members. Some of you come from uh, blended families. Maybe you have step-parents, step-siblings, step-children. And, you know, the thing about blended families is that they usually don't blend that well. They're blended in name only. Some of them blend about as well as billiard balls in a rack on a pool table. You know, they're there together, but they're not blended. Uh, But as Christ has brought us into the family of God, we are full family members. The Gentiles are not the stepbrothers of the Jews in Christ. They are fully members of the same family. The Gentiles are not uh, foreign exchange students living among the Jews. They are full family members. Because remember, God has created a new family in Christ. Go back to verse 15. We looked at this last week. His purpose was to create in himself one new... Uh, God took the Gentiles and brought them into Judaism through Christ. Nor did he take the Jews and tell them to get rid of their Jewishness and bring them into Gentileness. Nor did Christ take Jews and Gentiles and broker some kind of merger, 50-50, 60-40, and to make some new amalgam between the two. No, there is a new creation, a totally new family, and the sole criteria of being in this family is faith in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile. God has one people today, one people, not two. He has one people those who are in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile. And so the Gentiles now are fellow family members. They are as much a part of the people of God as Abraham himself. And they've been included in the people of God. So we're fellow citizens. We are fellow family members. And then here's the the next image, probably the, the dominant image in this passage. We are members together of the temple of God. In the Old Testament, the temple was a literal, physical building. But in the New Testament, the the shadow has come to reality. And the temple today is not a physical building. It's the people. It's us. And we are part of that temple. Now look at verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So Paul kind of goes on a tangent here. This is how he writes. He definitely sort of goes stream of consciousness. And he's talking about the household of God, and then that launches him into the image of a a temple, which is kind of like a house. Anyway, you see where he's kind of (laughs) swerving around. This is typical Pauline writing, kind of veers around. Uh, Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. One temple. Fellow citizens, fellow family members, all part of the same temple. Uh, Take out your sermon notes for a minute. 
I wanted to kind of visualize this temple. Take out this little insert in your bulletin. And if you look on the back, wow! I mean, that is... That's amazing. You know, that's not even a diagram. That's art. I mean, let's be honest. That's... <clears throat> so there's the temple. And you can see the different aspects of it. Uh, there's the foundation at the bottom. There's the, the bricks. And that little thing at the top, that's supposed to be like the Holy Spirit. I didn't know how to draw the Holy Spirit, so I kind of did that weird thing. I, I apologize if that was uh, sacrilegious. But, you know, just it's some representation to say that God is dwelling in the temple. Uh, so the, Paul describes this temple from the ground up. It's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Now, of course, the foundation is the most important part of the building because it supports the rest of the structure. So a foundation has to be broad, it has to be strong, it has to be deep. Because if the foundation is cracked, it doesn't matter how nice the building is, eventually the building will fall apart too. And so we need a strong foundation. And in this case, the foundation is the apostles and prophets. So what, what I want you to do is take a pencil. There's probably one in the pew rack in front of you. Maybe you brought a pen or pencil with you. And take the picture. And where it says two, I want you to write in the word apostles. You've got to kind of write crooked. And then where it says three, I want you to write prophets. All right, that's the foundation. Trying to visualize this thing, the apostles and prophets. I know, we skipped over one. Uh, some of you type A people are bothered by that. Uh, you're just going to have to deal with it for now. Uh, you know, as they say, there's three types of people in this world, those who are good with numbers and those who aren't. And so <laughs> the apostles and prophets uh, are the foundation. Who are the apostles? Of course, they were the disciples set apart by Christ to preach his message. James, John, Peter... Paul. The apostles were a unique group of people. There's no apostles today. The apostles are off the scene. They were uniquely appointed at the foundation of the church to establish the message of Christ. They were the eyewitnesses, the foundation. And then there's the prophets. Now, when I first read prophets, uh, my mind thought, yeah, the Old Testament prophets. Isn't that cool? So you got the Old Testament prophets and then the New Testament apostles. But when Paul says prophets, he's talking about prophets in the New Testament church. Isn't that interesting? Look at chapter 3, verse uh, 4. Paul says, In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. He's talking about New Testament prophets. Or, or look at chapter 4, verse 11. It was he... Verse 11, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, and some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. So the prophets were a unique um, order within the early church who, along with the apostles, received authoritative words from Christ that became Scripture. And between the two of those, they are the foundation of the church upon which the whole thing rests. But they're not the only foundation because it says in verse 20, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the church. Now the cornerstone is a very important stone. We don't build this way today, but in ancient times, the cornerstone was the most important stone in the building. It was not only a part of the foundation, but 
uh, it would be the first stone that was placed. The construction was uh, started with the placing of that stone. And then from the cornerstone, that's where the builders would take their bearings for the rest of the, the building. Depending upon how that stone was situated, they would then take the sides of it and run a foundation over there and run a foundation this way. And the whole thing was anchored around that cornerstone. In fact, the laying of the cornerstone was such an important uh, event. It, it was viewed so uh, symbolically that it was typically surrounded by religious ceremony. There'd be a big religious event. There would be sacrifices to the gods. Prayers would be made. Because this, this sort of symbolized the founding of this building. In fact, in some of the pagan, idolatrous religions around Israel, they would practice human sacrifice for a very important building. And they would take the body of the sacrificed person and put it under the cornerstone. So archaeologists have found cornerstones with skeletons underneath them because it was viewed as, as a way of appeasing the gods. Because, again, this is the most important stone. This symbolizes the strength of the whole building. And so they would sacrifice a human, put that person underneath it, and the idea being then that the gods would look favorably upon the building and protect it because such a great sacrifice was given to make the, the foundation work. But the building, the temple we're talking about is not a temple that we build. It's the temple that God is building. And we do not lay the cornerstone. God has laid the cornerstone. And we have not sacrificed something for God. He has sacrificed His own Son for the founding of this building. As God Himself is building up His people. He Himself has placed Christ as the chief cornerstone. In fact, look back at your sermon notes. Flip over to the front side. Isaiah 28. This is where the cornerstone language comes from. It's actually an Old Testament allusion. Isaiah 28, 16-17. So this is what the Sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion. God is going to build it. A tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be put to shame. So anyone who trusts in Christ is built upon that foundation and becomes part of that temple and part of that body. You're drawing again. And where there's number one, you can write Jesus Christ. So he is the cornerstone. There's the foundations, the apostles and prophets who are essentially carrying the message of Christ. So they're part of an extension of Christ. With Christ himself. Christ is the foundation of the church. Nothing else will hold up the church. No preacher. No personality. No program, no new fad that's sweeping the country and churches are doing it everywhere. Those things are fine, but nothing like that will support and sustain the church because the church is a spiritual organism supernaturally created upon Jesus Christ by the power of God and through the Holy Spirit. And if you take out Christ and the Spirit and the Father, you don't have a church. You have an organization, but you don't have something founded upon Christ. So we have to keep centered on Christ because He's the foundation upon which everything else is built. So there's your foundation. There's your cornerstone. And then look at verse 21. In Him, in Christ. Shouldn't it be on Him? Well, you know, this is Paul. He is very fluid in his language. Don't get too rigid with his words. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So we have two verbs here, join together and rises. 
First of all, the building is being joined together. Uh, Jews and Gentiles and people who otherwise wouldn't associate are being fused. Just like you take one brick and you slap mortar on the sides of it and you take another brick and you stick it. So now there's a, a fusing, a joining of Jews and Gentiles. So take your, uh, your sheet again and write, pick a brick, any brick. Sounds like a magic trick. And uh, write on one of the bricks, Jews. Okay? Keep building our image here. Then pick another brick and write anywhere on it, Gentiles. So we kind of see the fusing together of Jews and Gentiles into this living temple. So they're joined together. And then the second thing is, verse 21, where the building is joined together and then it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So it's, it's under construction still. It's still growing. It's still expanding. You know, it, it, the construction goes on. It's like the big dig. It just goes on and on. And we don't know when it's going to end until the coming of Christ. It, the, that construction is still happening. <laughs> uh, and, and it's interesting, that word rises, you know, that's kind of the New International Version translation. In Greek, this is kind of weird, but the word is a word about crops growing, and he applies it to a building. You know, again, this is sort of surreal, uh, Paul's psychedelic way of writing, I guess. But, but he's, he just feels free to change images, that's it. He's not rigidly bound to one image. So now you have this building that's growing like a plant. It's kind of cool. And it's, it's growing and expanding. Uh, in other words, missions. This is what missions is. It's just the temple growing. It's people coming into the body of Christ. The message of the apostles is going out. And as people believe the message of the apostles, which is Jesus Christ, dead, buried, risen, put your faith in Him for salvation. And as people buy the message of the apostles and faith in Christ, they're built into it. And the temple is rising. You know, last week we had Rich and Dee Donaldson here. Do you remember them? Uh, this is a missionary couple that we support. They've been serving in Peru for 35 years, which is, I think, about three years longer than I've existed. So, uh, which is pretty cool to me, that they've been so faithful that long serving in Peru. And they were here, and, and we were interviewing them. Uh, Rich, of course, grew up in this church, and we, he was sent out from this church. He's a native Hingamite, got saved here at South Shore Baptist, was sent out as a missionary. Then he went to Peru. He founded churches. He said the thing that's changed over time is that when he first went to Peru, he was starting churches. Today, he's training pastors to lead the churches that he started. He's doing more leadership development. And then in the evening service uh, last uh, week in the evening, he was talking about how there's some people who become Christians through those churches he's planted who are now being trained and are going further down the Amazon River to villages that he can't get to, and they're starting other churches. And so I was just trying to you know, take this in. You've got a Hingham boy comes to Christ. God calls him, sends him out to Peru, <laughs> to the Amazon, where he starts churches, and people there become Christians, and then they raise up other people in their church who then are called to go to some village down the Amazon River where more people are coming to Christ. So, you know, to think that we're here Sunday morning and somewhere way down in the Amazon River somewhere are other people who are one with us in Christ. That they too are knit into the same building. That the building project is going on the church has been in a building project for about 2,000 years. We're currently in a building program. It's building the people of God by 
by evangelizing. That's how missions is. You know, let's not make missions more complex than it has to be. It's just temple thing that a, that a high school student does when they say to their friend, do you want to come to youth group tonight? And there they hear about Christ. Same thing. It's just adding people to the kingdom of God through faith in Christ. And as anyone comes to Christ, no matter who they are, they are built onto that temple. So there in, in your little drawing, God's living temple, maybe pick a brick somewhere and say, Amazon villagers. <laughs> They're being knit in. And you know, maybe put Rich Donaldson or whatever. You know, fill out, start filling out this picture of all these different people who are being brought in. So it's founded on the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself, the chief cornerstone, joined together, rising, growing as people come to faith in Christ. And then verse 22. This is my very favorite, favorite two words of this whole section. Verse 22. And in Him, here it is, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Even I have been included in the body of Christ. So i got one more for you now. Take your drawing again. Pick a brick and write your own name on it. That's kind of corny. You know, humor me. <laughs> write your own name on it. Sort of vi- just pick, complete this visual that I have been included in Christ If you are in Christ, you too are a full citizen, a full family member, fully a part of the temple, no second-class citizens, no stepchildren in the family of God, full citizenship, full membership, founded upon one thing, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've been included as well. And so what do we say to that woman who I hung out with that, that afternoon for about an hour and talked to her? If she comes to Christ, if she puts her faith in Christ, she would be forgiven, cleansed, and incorporated into the people of God because she would receive the Holy Spirit upon faith in Christ. And she too would become part of that temple. Anybody here, no matter where you're from, what your background is, what failures and wrecks and bad decisions you've made in your life, if you will come and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, He will receive you forgive you and cleanse you, put His Holy Spirit in you, and bring you into the people of God with full membership to be one of Him. And so we rejoice in this, that God has included us. But it's not only good news for those who are outside the church, I think it's also a challenge for those of us who are inside the church to keep that open mindset. Because our tendency is to put people in categories, you know, more important, less important, and uh, we have this kind of worldly mindset, and if someone is um, wealthy or physically attractive or successful or gifted and talented or charming, or if somebody has some other uh, attributes about them that, that are desirable, we tend to gravitate toward those people, and it's sad but true, in the church of God, some of those people get special preference and they get deference but if there's other people who maybe aren't that attractive physically or aren't well educated or are poor or just don't seem to have that sparkle about them they're not one of the you know as they say the beautiful people (laughs) and they're in the body of christ you know sometimes we kind of and so you get this pecking order 
oftentimes in churches. And you see that certain people always seem to rise to prominence, and they, they happen to be a certain class of people. You know, this is, there's a word for this. It's called favoritism, and it's wrong. Because everybody who is in Christ is fully a member. That's what James tells us. Uh, look at James chapter 2. You can put your finger there or whatever in Ephesians. Look at the book of James. It's after Ephesians. James chapter 2. You know, James, if you want to a little cheer me up, read James. <laughs> He'll cheer you up with a club. <clears throat> James 2, verse 1. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world, in the eyes of the world, to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom of God? He promised those who love him. But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. You sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. And so we have to always be careful in the body of Christ that we realize that anyone who is in Christ has full citizenship in the body. In fact, let's finish up our little drawing here. Try to picture someone in your mind, maybe you could think of a specific person, whom you might be tempted or naturally inclined not to give as much respect to. Maybe it's a type of person. Maybe you know the person. Maybe it's someone you know who irritates you. Maybe your personality and that person's personality are just opposite ends of the spectrum. Maybe, uh, maybe you've been in a conflict with this person. Do you have that person? or type of person, I want you then to take your pencil, find your brick with your name on it, and on a brick touching your brick, write the person's name or the type of person, whatever it may be, if they are in Christ, if they are in Christ. They're with us. And they have just as much citizenship in the people of God as anybody else. That's something we always have to keep in mind. I think that's something that's a challenge for us as a growing church. Because as a growing church, there are literally, every Sunday, literally, people coming through the doors who've never been here before. Every Sunday it happens. It's so incredible. And so we have to make sure that we as a church are finding ways to embrace and welcome and, in, and include those people. Because if, if a family who lives in, I don't know, Seattle or, or San Francisco relocates to Boston and they decide to come here and worship with us, and they're Christians, even though they've only been here 50 minutes, they're still as much a part of us as someone who's been here 50 years, in the sense that they are one in Christ. And so we have to kind of think about that as a church. How do we do that? How do we include people? And so we have our inquirers class once a quarter to welcome newcomers, and we have a greeting ministry, and you know, there's this thing in the bulletin about this coffee for newcomers, Oh, maybe you got a letter about that. You know, go. We're, just trying, we're trying to stretch out our arms and embrace people. 
and bring them into the body of Christ. We're trying to live this out. But I'll tell you, none of that, no program can ever take the place of a spirit of hospitality in a church. That's the most important thing of all. In fact, you give me the best program in the world for helping new people get into the body of Christ, and I'll trade it any day for a spirit of hospitality among the people. Nothing beats it when, when everybody in the church, starting with me, just has a vision for helping new people come into the body of Christ. Uh, shaking hands with the person next to you and saying, hey, I'm glad you're here. Oh, you're new. Why don't you come downstairs? Get some coffee. There's a welcome table. Uh, why don't you come to this women's Bible study on Monday night or Thursday morning or being welcoming to people. Reaching out to newcomers doesn't mean you have to become best friends with everybody. It just means you have to be hospitable. And as we do that as a body, we're living out this text. The reason we're doing all these programs is not so that we can create a big church, whatever that is. <laughs> We're just trying to live out the fact that we are one with anyone who is in Christ. And we want to do that in practical ways. So that if that woman, who was the the biker lady, would put her faith in Christ and were to come here Sunday morning, we would want to be able to express to her in tangible ways that she is one of us through faith in Christ. There's a story told by Rebecca Pippert in her book, uh, Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World. I don't know if you ever read this book. Becky Pippert, uh, it's a great book on evangelism. It's 1979 was when it was published, but I'll tell you, this stuff is good. It's just as good today as it was back then. If you want a good book on evangelism that, you know, isn't scary evangelism, but like evangelism you can do, this is a great book, Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World by Becky Pippert. At the end of the book, she tells a story about when she first came to the university in Portland, Oregon. And when she got there, she met this guy on campus named Bill. And Bill was a a character. He had become a Christian on campus. He wasn't a Christian, didn't come from a Christian background, became a Christian. And Bill was one of these uh, sort of brilliant, esoteric types. He was kind of always lost in the clouds. He he had sort of the Albert Einstein do going on. And uh, his hair was always wild, messy. And he, you know, blue jeans, T-shirt, she says that she, he, she never saw him wear a pair of shoes. Rain, sleet, snow, he never wore shoes. It, you know, this is kind of 70s, so you know, he's sort of uh, in touch with whatever. And, and so he, he, he was just one of these kind of, you know, just sort of strange guys. But he became a believer and, and was part of that campus fellowship. Well, there was a church in the town right across from the college that wanted to start a ministry to college students. They didn't really know how to do it. But they knew that there was a ministry opportunity there, so they kind of started one. And this was a very you know, well-dressed, middle-class, conservative church. And one Sunday, Bill decided he you know, wanted to go to church. He heard about this college ministry. And so uh, apparently, this is how she tells the story. He comes into church, hair, you know, T-shirt, blue jeans, no shoes. And he you know, sort of walking. It's like Shaggy from you know, Scooby-Doo. He's sort of... <laughs> Walking into the church, and, and you know, everyone sort of sees him, and you know, what, what do we do with this guy? And there's this kind of tension. And so he starts walking down the aisle looking for a seat. And he's looking for a seat, looking for a seat. Finally gets to the front of the church, no seats. And you know, standing up in front of the church, and everyone's, you know, there's this tension in the whole church as everyone's like, what do we do with this guy? And so he does you know, what you would do. He, he sits right on the carpet. <laughs> People are like, oh my goodness, you know. But you know, hey, that's what he does in the college ministry. 
when you got saved, you, you know, you sit in the carpet and you sing songs with a guitar and you, you hear a message. It's very informal. So he just sat in the carpet. He's totally oblivious. People like that, they don't you know, realize what are, what's going on socially around them. And he's just sort of sitting there waiting for the service to start. And then as she tells the story, from the back of the church, this old guy in a suit gets up, you know, starts making his way to the front. And as he walks down, everyone's like, oh. <laughs> you know, it's like this train wreck's about to happen. And everyone knows it except Bill. You know, he's still like, he's sitting there. And, and here's this old guy, you know, and you can't blame the old guy. It's like he's, he's from the old school. You know, and in his day, the way you show sincerity is by dressing up nice. You dress up nice for church, and, and you don't come and sit on the floor. You don't come and bare feet. You know, it's a different generation. They're worlds apart. And so you feel bad because you understand why the guy would be upset. And so he starts, you know, he's making his way down, and he finally gets right up to Bill. And then very slowly lowers himself to the carpet and sits next to Bill. As the church bursts into tears, in amazement at the beauty of the body of Christ, and there this old man sits next, and Bill, of course, is oblivious. <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> and there they sit on the carpet, and they worship Christ together. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you that you made the long journey down the long aisle from heaven to earth. That you came in the person of Jesus Christ, God the Son in human flesh. And that though you should have come up behind us and smote us in judgment because we are sinners, you sat down next to us and you went to the cross, you fully identified with us. And on the cross, you took our sin upon yourself so that we might be saved. And God, we thank you that you are such a merciful God and that now we are a new people created through that great act of mercy on the cross. And so, Lord, I pray that you would fill up my heart because I am in desperate need of love, that you would fill up my heart with love, that you would fill up all of our hearts in Christ in love, that we would stop viewing one another through worldly lenses and that we might see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, fully citizens, regardless of what we look like or where we were educated or what we do for a living or currently don't do for a living. God, help us to see each other as fully members of the body of Christ. And I, God, I pray that as we do that, you'd show us practical ways to express it. We like the idea, Lord, but we don't fully know how to do that. And so, God, keep knitting us together. Let us be a church where the beauty of the new creation, which is the church, it shines on the south shore and that people might be drawn to it. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know Christ, that they would simply open their hearts and that they would say, Christ, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Receive me. And Lord, I pray for those of us who have been in the church who are the insiders, that you would give us a sensitivity to newcomers so that we might welcome them not because we want to build some great organization, Lord, but because we believe that anyone who is in Christ is one of us and a new creation with us. So God, give us grace to do this, to live up to this text. 
Thank you, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen.